Hello, oh. my name is mother, Jim. Mother damn. Fuck mother damn. Wow. You want me to take it to the red this whole time? Jesus Christ. Why is that so I don't know. loud? Why are we? I need to be able to yell every once in a while. I need to be able to scream, Gus. I don't know what we're yelling about. Hello? 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 I believe the world is coming to an end. Oh, well, I guess we're going to pretend. Let's see how far we've come. Let's see how far we've come. All right, how are the levels now? Like, if I'm talking at this, what am I hitting? Um, Probably about mm, Dom, like 18. <clears throat> okay, 18, so... 18-ish. Okay, so I was um perusing YouTube, right? As one does. And I, 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 I knew... I've, I've watched this Norm MacDonald clip Probably a hundred times. Like, a lot. I've watched a lot. Yeah. So, Conan was interviewing Mackenzie Davis. Uh, they were talking about Halt and Catch Fire, the AMC show about, like, I think it's about, like, a group of people that, like, tried to privatize computers in the or the internet or, or something. It, okay. It's, like, a late 70s. It's, like, a period drama. It's actually... My dad loved the show. I, I've been... I, I want to watch it, but I just haven't... There's too many other shows. So... She starts talking about how, like, she does some, like, weird shit where she, like, she, like, takes dead animals and, like, dissolves them down to their bones and, like, makes sculptures out of these bones. Okay. And, um, Conan's like, well, that's some, like, that's some, like, psycho, that's some psycho shit. Like, that's some serial killer shit. And then Norm comes in and... He says this. <laughs> she looks so uncomfortable. Yeah. All the comedy guys up there are dying. Oh, though. yeah. I love how while she's talking, you can see his he's just his like, cogs are turning. I he's waiting this. for his moment. What I and what I love about what I loved about Norm was that it seemed like just effortless. Like he didn't mm-hmm. he it wasn't like he was like, Okay, how can I make these people laugh? How am I gonna do like what am I gonna say? He just would pay attention, pick one or two things up and go and think of the I I do really think like in moments like that, he thought of it in his head first and went yeah, that'll probably be funny. And then just went with it. It didn't matter yeah. if it was embarrassing or over well, the line or whatever. That's how, like, that's how comedy starts. That's how funny yes, people are. Exactly. Like he was probably that same way. And um, Theo Vaughn was talking about this on mm-hmm. Jocko when he was talking about like when he figured out that he just wanted to make people laugh. But yeah. like these, like these comedians were kids in school who would think of something to say that they thought would be funny. Yeah. And then regardless of the consequences, we're just going to say it. Right. Because all these comedians have, like, I've heard so many stories about comedians who were, like, super big troublemakers in yeah. school, always mm-hmm. were getting in trouble for, like, 
roasting the teacher or what, right, like whatever. Right. Anthony Jeselnik was that way. He said he would just say something because he thought it was funny, and Anthony Jeselnik says really fucked up shit. Yeah, and he said he 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 said some teachers appreciated it, others would like stop him. It, he said it just kind of yeah. depended, and he said it, it got him into a lot of trouble later later on, like late when he was in like eighth grade or something, because um, he had like this knife and he was trying to get money to um, buy a CD for a girl. And so he tried to sell this knife at school to some guy. And then they found out, and it ended up being this crazy ordeal because they like they had to like sit him down because of all this fucked up shit he usually says. Yeah. And they were like worried about him because he brought a knife to school and they were worried because of all the crazy things he said <laughs> to make people laugh that he was going to like fucking kill people or something. And he was like, I was just trying to... Just buy a CD for this girl I liked. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna do anything. I would never think about doing anything. I just think. I think but, the ability. I think the ability to tell jokes is a distinctly different skill than the ability to write jokes. Yes. And some. Some. I feel. I think the best comedians are good at both. Right. Right. The best comedians can sit down, um, and most that do like. TV specials and mm-hmm. either Comedy Central or Netflix or whatever right. that have those shows, most of them will write like write out a script. Right. But the <clears throat> best ones don't necessarily have to stick to it. Right. The best ones write jokes that are funny when delivered in right. their way. Well, and that's I think a lot. A and lot that's of what them... makes them unique too. Uh, right. The best, you know, and that's why in the comedy world, like stealing jokes is such a big deal because. Right. These guys will, or girls, they will write their, they'll write their jokes to be performed by them, and, and right. to be performed the way that they want it to be performed, yes. um, and that's why I love that kind of conversational comedy, and that's how like, I'm I don't always love the jokes that Andrew Schultz tells, right? But he sits up on stage and just has conversations with people yes. in the audience, right? And he's hilarious. With it's it. so His, good. He's so quick witted with it, mm-hmm. and like that type of comedy is such a different style than right doing like you know selling out madison square garden yes right it's a it's a right. complete it's a more intimate type of comedy mm-hmm. um i also think it's more of an acquired taste like you when right. when kevin hart sells out an arena and does comedy in front of seventy thousand people he has to tell jokes that are going to land with the majority of that seventy thousand. Right. When when you're doing shows that big you can't just play to a hundred people in right the crowd. you can't you can't do crowd work Right? Absolutely not. And a lot, a lot of comedians actually talk about. Uh, I, I don't know about a lot, but most comedians talk about like hating doing crowd work. Andrew Schultz is one of those guys that almost seems to like thrive in doing crowd. Like him talking to someone in his like having like you said, basically a full blown conversation with them. At doing that crowd work actually like ups his his comedy it, for whatever reason. That's like where his his sweet spot is with his jokes. Right. right? Well, and he's kind of, he's known for it now. So I'm afraid that he'll get to a point where like hecklers just make his shows unwatchable because yeah. everybody wants to get in on the conversation. Right. Right. They want to say something that'll get him to talk to right. them. Right. But, but also with his style of comedy, he kind of embraces those interruptions to his routine. He has a routine. Right. He has something he wants to talk about, but he uses, yeah. he uses his scripted jokes to just guide the conversation yeah. rather than to be his whole performance. Like he's right. okay with interruptions because he's confident in an, enough in himself yes. that he can take whatever feedback he's getting and turn it into yeah. the rest of his show. Dude. So 
I have two. So I think you're right about like the the writing aspect. I think is really important for comedians, for standups, especially like strict standups. But I think they would probably say the same. The, the even what's even more important than that is when they actually go to smaller venues, to clubs, you know, like the improv or something like that, and actually work on the material they just wrote. Because right. it's in those times when you got 200 people, 250, or even less, maybe 150 people, right? Like the, the comedy store in L.A. has has different rooms that one of them holds, I think it's 150 people. Yeah, They go to spots like that to to work out the jokes that they've written because I, I feel like uh, as a comedian, when you write out a joke, you have to at least think it's funny to you. Like you think in some way yes, what to. I'm saying here is, is funny. You might not know how, and that's where, that's why you go out and you, 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 you work on that, that part of you work on the delivery and you work on the setup. You do that in these intimate locations where you're not trying to impress people. 1,500 people, 3,000 people, 10,000, you know, you're not going to Ball Arena in Denver where it seats 19,000 people and working on a brand new hour of comedy because you can't, you can't get everyone, you can't get 19,000 people to laugh at something if you're still not quite sure how every joke you've written is funny. I think, I think that's a bit like, it's a really important part of being good, like being a good stand-up comedian is being able to take what you think could be funny and then spending, you know, six months doing small little venues and then announcing your tour. That's what – I mean, that's how, like, guys like Segura do it that way, right? Well, and they write a whole new hour. Like, and then after a few months of, of figuring out how it all comes together, then they'll announce tour dates. Then they'll go, you know, fucking sell out theaters of thousands of people, right. which is fucking crazy. Well, and, like, Joe Rogan has talked about – like he'll he'll talk to amateur comedians who are who will be like yeah i practiced for this many hours and he'll be like well how'd you practice and they say that they just like read it to themselves in the mirror or whatever right he's like that doesn't work like you have to know you have to know where like how to deliver punchlines you have to know right when to tell jokes in your like um, what order a joke should go? Like yes, what you, order your entire show should right. go? Right. You, you don't necessarily you don't need like a narrative arc but the story should kind of have a have a a trajectory, right? Well, the I've overall heard, I've heard comedians talk about how like they'll pull a joke that's supposed to be the end of their show and they just find a sweet spot for it while right. they're up on stage. You're like, "Hey, yeah. this would fit. Let's bring it in here." I think Burt Kreischer's talked about that actually. Yeah. How he he had an hour set and then all of a sudden like, you know, uh, I don't know how long into it, he just all of a sudden it was like, "Oh, this fits." here and then that joke which wasn't really doing well where it was all of a sudden he'd like found the spot for it and it just it, it killed right it right. was one of the funniest jokes in this whole hour yeah um i so i went and saw rogan um in 2017 so right before did you really yeah right it was the same hour he did um in his 2018 special it was i think it, it must have been i think it was like a month before he actually filmed it Okay. So uh, uh, it was in Atlanta, really cool, really cool amphitheater. Had like this super, almost like Victorian vibe to it. I want to say it was very retro, but not like eighties retro. I'm talking like a couple hundred years old retro. So he was, you know, doing his bits. It was, it was fucking hilarious. Going to live comedy is 
so is infinitely better than sitting at home and watching. I understand it's it's kind of hard to to catch a comedian you like on tour, but if you can see them, it's so it the experience is just complete. It's 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 like the difference between watching football at home and going to Arrowhead Stadium, right? right. The the feeling of all those people around you and in the the different type of synergy and energy it creates is the same exact thing at like a comedy show. So there's I don't know a few thousand people in there. It's pretty big. It's pretty de- decent size. It's Joe Rogan, right? I mean, dude sells out theaters in every state across well, the country. Less so in 2017 than now. Right. He could. Right. He could sell out the biggest stadiums in the world. Oh right? yeah, he could. He could be in stadiums. Now, right? <laughs> yeah. So he was. Um, he finished a joke and there was just like a little pause. Like he was like going to grab a drink of water or something. And this some woman from like the one of the balcony seats just screamed out. He goes, no, you don't, bitch. And then he, he was like, I don't know. I, I don't think Rogan is not – Rogan does not deal with hecklers. Yeah. Hecklers are, are a no-go. He's also like, no phones. Like, turn your fucking phone off. Don't, don't do shit with your phone. He's very much about the, the like, in-the-moment experience, right? Like, he has shit to say. You're going to laugh. Buckle up, right? That's, that's, the Joe, that's part of the Joe Rogan experience, not to, not to you know – be ironic there but the joe rogan experience train by jay anyway um so he that happened he goes no you don't bitch and people fucking lost it obviously thought it was hilarious and then he went just completely off script completely away from his hour for about five to ten minutes just lighting this fucking girl up she i mean it was like obviously it was super (laughs) innocuous you know she was like He's like, what the fuck do you think? Like, you don't know me. You've heard me. I bet you listen to my podcast. Like, he was just like, and it was, it wasn't like he wasn't being a dick. Yeah, he was just, he's just being funny. He was like, you know what? You're a heckler now, so you have less rights than the people who haven't heckled <laughs> me in this during this during this show. And it was just like five to ten minutes of just this pure. I don't know. Like, it was that moment where you were like, oh, now he's just he's just shooting from the hip right now. And it was still, it was landing just as well as the hour that he had been working on for probably at that point close to a year, right? Because he was pretty close to filming a special for Netflix. Right. And to like be in that moment to like see a completely unfiltered, just five to 10 minute bit where a guy's just like kind of laying into someone in like a playful way, especially a guy who's as good as Rogan is. It was one of the coolest things I've, you know, I've been to football, baseball, pro basketball games. I've, you know, I've been to, I got to see a show on Broadway when I was younger. I've been to live theater. But probably the the coolest 10 minutes I've ever experienced in a theater before. Yeah. Because it was just completely raw. The rest of the, the rest of the, the hour was hilarious too. But there was just that little bit of, that little different feeling you got well, when he was just like, here we go. I I'm going to rip that- in real quick. I think that there is there's a big difference between a funny person and a comedian and that's kind of yes. where the difference lies. Right. Because you can turn you can be funny in everyday conversation. Yes. Um and I would argue that the the skill of being funny in everyday conversation is one that's beneficial to just like daily relationships and to society like I, not to get too deep. Um, right. And that's, you know, a lot of, we've talked about the importance of comedy, like yeah. why comedy is, 
important in today's world. Right. Um, but I think that being able to turn, turn those jokes into a performance in real time is where that line is drawn. Right. Because like, that's a skill that I think even funny people sometimes in conversation, they can start making jokes about somebody and then it just turns into like, okay, you're being a dick. Right. Like quit being an asshole. Right. Like you, you breach the funny zone and then you're just kind of like, obviously, obviously at a comedy show, like for that situation, Joe Rogan had a platform for it and people are come to expect it. They know that he's putting on a show. Right. But when he's able to completely diverge from the direction he was headed just to be a funny person for a few minutes. Right. Like that's, that's where, comedians are different than just like everyday conversation because they have that ability that Mm -hmm. most of us don't have. Right. I, yeah, for sure. I had a point about something. Oh, when you were talking about being funny and like actually being a, a legit comic, I think, I think actually two, I think all comics started out that way. Like Anthony Jessel talking about just like ribbing, ribbing class. Yeah. They just started as people who are, and then they make that decision to go, I'm going to do this as a, a full-time job. I'm going to I'm going to figure out what it is that I say that makes people and that's like honestly I think being becoming a successful stand-up is probably one of the hardest professions you can take on in the kind of creative spectrum of 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 the job quote-unquote job market, right? Because <clears throat> I don't know, I think the difference between being funny and being a comedian is like it's having that ability to just almost on command just make make wine out of water right make something super mundane or innate funny right Mm -hmm. or at least something that other people can chuckle at right well and i think that that's why i think that's why like late night comedy shows late night talk shows yeah had such a big audience for so long Mm -hmm. and it's kind of unfortunate how scripted they've become and how censored they've become right but like that's why that's why like early well i feel like conan still does quite a bit of that conan is yeah. one of the few that over the last 2 or 3 years has mm-hmm. kind of maintained and he also well what was great about conan was he he would bring on people that weren't afraid to approach or cross the line like norm norm was a norm was a mainstay on conan and letterman too letterman right. was another one of those guys that kind of always at least had an idea of where the line was, but was never afraid to just hop up, just hop on it. Right. Yeah. Just get to the line and push the envelope. And I think, yeah, I think especially over the past couple years, even before COVID, I don't know. I late night just kind of got a little, a little diluted. Right. There but that, like, that's many... why we loved it because it was a conversation. Right. And it made it made the people that we like look up to, the professional athletes, the actors and actresses, yeah. the the you know, the millionaires and billionaires, mm-hmm. it sat them down with a comedian who wasn't afraid to just make jokes about yeah. their life. Who wasn't that's afraid why... to sit and have a conversation mm-hmm. and laugh about it. And the yeah. one the one that is like almost the saddest to me that I I used to love Stephen Colbert and I thought yeah. I thought early on and not even early on, but when he was doing like the Colbert Report, yeah, when, when, back in the day, when Stephen Colbert was on Comedy Central, when he was right? when he was playing a a caricature of himself, yes, he was hilarious. It was great. It was, it was absolutely hilarious. It was some of the best. It, honestly, it, it landed him 
the CBS show because of how how sharp it was and how good it was. And then, but now he's he's owned by he's the owned company. by he's owned by Viacom, he's, one of the one of the biggest conglomerates in the world. And it and it right? sucks because you you've seen that he is less and less willing to cross lines, right. but also he is less and less willing to let his guests cross lines yes and i think oh i think the other thing we noticed over the last year and you and i have talked about this ad nauseum yeah oh good i like that, that ad nauseum, wasn't it Ooh. i don't even know if i said Ooh. it right when i was like thinking of that no word. you said i think you said it. i say i say it that way so i don't say it that's the in, first time in hey, my, i'll be honest that's the first time i've ever said that well dom in my, in my realm life. in my realm of understanding you said it correctly we could both be saying it wrong but since we're the only well leo doesn't count since we're the only two people in the room who can speak English. How about that? Who have thumbs. Who have thumbs and and develop well, allegedly developed frontal lobes. <laughs> allegedly. As far as I understand, yes, you you said ad nauseum. You you nailed it, brother. You, you got it. You know what? You got it perfect. We So we've talked a lot about how Right. Not to get too these, off track. <laughs> <laughs> these late night I have a ice cube in my mouth. Oh, we're gonna do a little No, I don't want you to, but I had to Get it out of the way, so it wasn't. You. I'm still gonna chew on an ice cube. I'll just pull the mic. Just pull. Okay. Um, the, these late night comedy shows got a whole lot less funny when they were away from their studio audience, mm-hmm. and part of that I think goes to your point about how being in the audience just enhances the experience. Like I think I think listening to a comedy show with a live audience is <clears throat> genuinely funnier. Like yes, just, like these. I'm I'm not saying that they are not funny without their audience. Right. What I'm saying is having an audience there, even as a viewer who's not there, mm-hmm. makes their routine funnier. Right, like hearing other people laugh, hearing them get excited about the people yes. who they are in front of, right. makes their performance more enjoyable. Right. Now, with that being said, in the era of podcasts where there are a ton of funny people who are funny without an audience, right. The ones who can be funny just on a solo podcast, just talk to themselves or talk right. to talk to one other their person. co-host or a guest, right, right, and and still be funny without that you know expected laughter from right. the audience. In a world of of those types of shows, those late night comedians kind of drowned. Once their audience right. was ripped away from them, they didn't know how to be funny right. by themselves well, because because <clears throat> the your performance has to change the way that you present jokes has to change because you are no longer speaking to um, people in front of you. You're speaking to a screen right. or you're speaking to somebody's headphones and yeah. you have to be able to adjust your comedy mm-hmm. in a way that's going to make sense for your audience. And a lot of these late night shows couldn't do that. Right. Well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of what makes kind of the crowd so important with stand up is, you know, hearing other, like, I listen to a lot of different stand-up comedians. I, I love listening to stand-up comedy. And part of the reason why the crowd is so important is because when you hear other people laughing at the bit or at the punchline, whatever it might, you know, whatever portion they're laughing at, and you're laughing as well, you, you feel that kind of, that connection, right? Like, oh, I, like, thousands of other people are finding this funny too. Like, I'm, I'm you're not part of the audience. We but, all want to... You belong to the you to still you still feel like you're you're connected right you're connected to everyone that was there and late night when it had an audience was kind of the same it, it was kind of a it was kind of a manipulation of that because a lot I'm 
I'm pretty sure every late night show has like cue laugh cues. Yeah. Like laugh or to. clap. So that kind of gave you this this quasi feeling of oh they're la- like I can laugh too like and right. feel that connection. So when the audiences went away, there was no more cues to clap or cues to laugh because it, it was just these guys at their houses or on this in the studio with no audience. So you realized when you were watching them deliver their bits, do their things, it wasn't actually as, as funny as it was. And now that the crowd is gone and isn't like kind of leading you into that laughter, you, it kind of makes you realize, Oh, this isn't, this isn't the kind of comedy I was really yeah. looking for. Right. Well, and that was the audience I, left and it kind of, it, it kind of exposed the fact that, a lot of what happens on late night shows is kind of forced laughter, forced applause, forced reactions. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't know the, the one that I noticed that most on was actually Jimmy Fallon. And like yeah. high school, I used to love Jimmy Fallon. Me too. And I, his, his thank you note bits were always hilarious, but, and good on him for being one of the few that I don't think really took much of a break. Um, during the pandemic, he just so. kind of rolled with the punches yeah, and was like, yeah. okay, we'll do it from home. And like had his family on the show and like, whatever. And it was <clears> like, <throat> that was, I was glad to see him continue like that. But yeah. I remember watching the first couple bits that he released, um, after he was taken out of studio and it just like, it mm-hmm. didn't hit the same. It wasn't entertaining. Right. And I don't know how their like viewership changed. I'm sure it w- dropped significant I would just I haven't looked at Nielsen um, ratings which I, but, I actually do a lot of but I haven't looked at but regardless rating. like it was it was pretty early on that I realized that like these late night talk show hosts don't really like if they don't make some big adjustments they're they don't really have a chance in right in the media that we're <laughs> kind of being forced to get used to and now some of them are back with studio audiences right and returning to that um but I just like it. Just seems like some of them lost their touch a little right. bit. Right. Well, and it's it's not getting better again because you kind of know they're just they're kind of telling the audience when to do things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what what really I don't know, I, you know, this is all conjecture. This is subjective thought. Like I think what happened with Fallon was he was on the the Late Show. Was that what was after Tonight Show? It was Tonight Show, and then it was like the Late Show or. Whatever was after Tonight Show. Late night? It might have been Late Night with Jimmy Fountain. Something like that. I think but it was Late Night. On Late Night, you know, Late Night's not the prime time. It's after Jay Leno. You know, most people aren't still up to watch it. So because I think, you know, NBC didn't have as much to lose with that show, they kind of let Jimmy be Jimmy mm-hmm. and it let his writing staff kind of really write to his strengths. And then he got Tonight Show, and as the as – he kind of progressed and as the show became a little bit bigger because he did when when he became the new tonight show host it was huge yeah they had great numbers they were i mean and obviously they had great numbers with leno too well and he jimmy fallon had kind of a smaller following for a while because he got his start in snl right he got a start in snl and then i think he did a couple of movies and then he went to late night like there were there were people that knew about him and he oh yeah he had a a very dedicated he had a dedicated group of 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 viewers of viewers and followers and i think like when his show started they didn't the Tonight Show didn't lose step, right? When yeah. when Leno left and Conan came on, I n- number like for whatever reason, and I love. I actually honestly, Conan's one of my favorites. Co- when Conan came on Tonight Show, 
ratings kind of tanked and people weren't didn't really like it and i i do i really think you know guy studios like nbc cbs uh abc which i think cordon's on abc they kind of when it comes to the prime time shows right tonight show uh late show and whatever cordon's show is called might be i don't know um once you get to that part of the platform that that show that they know everyone's tuning in at that hour to watch late night right then they're going to have a little more say in, in what you can and can't do and in how far you can let your guests go what you can let your guests talk about what you can't let them talk about and i think once fallon kind of hit it off cuz they didn't again viewerships viewership was up people were excited it was it was kind of a, like a breath of fresh air on on the tonight show cuz leno had been there for so long and he was you know he was he was he was Jay Leno. He did it his own way. And Fallon came in and kind of introduced a, a different way, and people liked it. And then as the show progressed, it just kind of, it just kind of got, it kind of got diluted. And the jokes yeah. they made got less funny. What they were able to write was just not as sharp. Anthony Jeselnik talked about working on Fallon. He, I, I'm pretty sure he has a very, a soured view of working on Fallon because a lot of his jokes never made it through well, and- because, one, he doesn't really write. In my eyes, Jesselnik and, and Fallon have completely different styles of comedy, and I'm sure most of his jokes just wouldn't work for Fallon. But even the ones that did, if they push the envelope, it's kind of, you know, you kind of get this, you get the side eye from producers. Well, like, I think ah, part, of the gonna- draw, part of the draw with Jimmy Fallon, too, is, and I, honestly, I haven't watched one of any of these late shows live Probably in two years, dude. When I was when it, when Fallon premiered back in twenty fourteen, I watched every night for yeah. the better part of a year, and then I you know I graduated and in you know went to college and I didn't have access to cable anymore and it kind of changed. But you know I was still I was watching highlights from his show every single night for a couple well, of I years. Think that I think part of the draw for Jimmy Fallon, at least early on, since I can't speak to now, is that he's also one of the few that is willing to like kind of make a fool out of himself Mm -hmm. he's willing to like play stupid games on his show and like right he's willing to let his guests win for the sake of comedy like that kind of stuff he also had kind of like a just like a personable guy right he had like a like a he was like vibrant like he he kind of felt like just like a guy who was a lot of energy and really excited that he got to do this and it was his com- monologues also were some of the best when, oh, yeah. when he was at his peak. Oh, they were great. Yeah. They were so good and they were sharp and they just I don't know, everything kind of clicked. And it was I think honestly it held up to to Leno because it was just the opposite of Leno. Like right. when he used to bring Leno on to do his monologues with him, their their juxtaposition between each other was so it was it was a perfect view of of how the show had changed, but it was also some of the funniest bits ever right. because they're just such, they're two different styles of comedian and they, they just kind of meshed really well. And that's why I think Fallon initially just was, you know, so good, uh, you know, at go because right. people are like, Oh, this is way different, but it's still, it's different in a good way. This guy's, you know, a little younger. He's excited to be where he is. He loves talking to his guests. He, he He's not the best interviewer. That was always kind of a given. But when he talked to his guests, again, it's kind of like you said, he kind of let them rib into him a little bit, right? Like he was just this goofy guy who got to talk to these really cool people that he was 
he admired. And well, he always he always seemed like a fan too. Like right, yeah. He, not that he would not that he would get starstruck because he's been around these stars since he was right, yeah. in his twenties. But you could you could feel like, that fandom. Yes, right. He, yeah. You could tell he was a fan of the people that he had on his show. Right. It wasn't like it wasn't like he had these guests just assigned to him and he found out who they were like right. an hour before the show. Right. Which sometimes you can kind of so, get and that. And that happens too. I mean, you 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 have new guests on late night all the time, right? right? People who are up and coming or But like he he just people you seemed, haven't met. he seemed like one of us. And that's yes. like that was the draw for Jimmy right. Fallon. But then I don't something again though, something with like even with his guests, something happened to where it just kind of felt like either I don't know, he turned into like it it, it it turned from like fandom into just a f- like fanboy almost. Does that make sense? Like all of a sudden, instead of just being a fan who was excited to talk to these people, he just like started gushing, and yeah. and people. It's almost like people weren't allowed to like give him shit anymore. Right. Right. Like one of the best stories is when I think Nicole Kidman came on and told the story about how um, she and him almost dated back in the late nineties. But he was such a fucking oh, idiot. Oh yeah, I actually remember that. that. Yeah, dude, that's one of the, the one of the one of the funniest interviews he's ever had. Because like, he's also like four like, years ago. He's like dying laughing during that. Oh like, yeah, he's, like he you thinks can, it is you can, hilarious. You can feel the embarrassment, but he's yeah. still just like God. He, like you're fucking right. Like that's, I mean, but that's but that's part of being a comedian. Like he right. can look back at stories about himself yeah. and like see the comedy in it. Like he genuinely thinks it's funny. That yeah. he was in these awkward situations, right? And uh, that—that's another part of comedy is mm-hmm. being able to see, being able to see comedy everywhere you look in the world, like looking at the world through a lens of comedy, right? But also looking at yourself through a lens of comedy, like being yes. able to—it's and it's more than being able to laugh at yourself, right? It's being able to genuinely make jokes about your own life. Right. Like actually target, like be self-deprecating. Right. right? Like actually And there's an art target to it. There's an par- art oh, yeah. to self-deprecation. Absolutely. To where it's not just like depressing. But, but. Right. Because I think it's sometimes obvious when self-deprecation is a coping mechanism. And I'm sure for some comedians it is. I'm sure for some oh, for comedians, sure. oh, yeah. their comedy is a coping mechanism. Right. But when they when they can genuinely turn their life into a bit, like that's that's a whole nother level. Oh yeah, that, that it, it takes it takes a level of vulnerability that most of us don't have. Yeah, it, for it, sure. You have to you have to have a certain personality to get away with something like that. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And, and it takes a it takes a lot of confidence to put yourself in that situation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we started this whole thing talking about Norm. Or, no, we were talking about Theo Vaughn. And then we started talking about Norm. I was singing Matchbox 20. You were singing Matchbox 20? Yeah. I don't remember that. Was well, that a, was that when you hit record? Yeah. When you were doing, ah, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Well, that's going to go on the, well, that's gonna go on the listen, pod. Listen, I think, I think we could probably talk comedy for... We could. For hours. Literally. Um, I want to... Comedy is very important to I wanna, both of I us. I want to wrap this up because I, I the whole the whole reason I I want to wrap it up because we've been talking for thirty five minutes. Right. I want to <laughs> I want to wrap it up with a bit about Norm because the, the whole reason I've been thinking about comedy a lot is because of Norm Macdonald passing away at sixty one, having suffered cancer for like a decade and not having made it public. Again, that speaks to what he was all about, and I was just trying to be a funny guy. Right, and you say you have cancer, then everyone, you know, feels bad or whatever. And he never wanted any part of that. One of my, f- the the 
the best bits I'd ever heard from him. He was on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Yeah. With Jerry Seinfeld. Which, by the way, has some great episodes. Oh, yeah. Amazing episodes. Some of the really some hilarious con- content. Uh, Brian Regan's on it. Great. Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry um, Seinfeld and uh, Letterman. Hilarious. Listening to him talk about oh, how yeah. he structures jokes. And, like, some of his favorite oh, yeah. jokes are ones that, like, you just have, like, it takes a certain type of person to understand. Oh, yeah. Like, so, what's funny about it. So, he's in the car. They're driving to, I don't know, they're driving. And... Norm asks him, he's like, do you think uh, you think Cosby's uh, reputation is uh, going to suffer because of this? And Jerry was just like, yes. And then Norm keeps going. He's like, you know, I was having a conversation with a guy. And uh, I, it, so it was another famous guy. He said, you know, the worst part about this whole thing is uh, the uh, hypocrisy. And I was like, I don't think the worst part about this is hypocrisy. I think it's the raping. <laughs> he just keeps going. He just keeps. Then he just starts talking about rape. And he's like... <laughs> And Jerry, you know, Jerry, who is a comedian yeah. who recognizes that Norm is one of the best to ever do it. He's just fucking his eye is like he's he's wheezing. He's laughing so hard. Dude, right. That that might be one of the best parts of that show is Jerry Seinfeld is just as much a comedian as he is a comedy fan. Oh, yes. And right. Listening to him laugh at these oh, other yeah. comedians jokes is like it's one of the most enjoyable things from our perspective. Right. Because, like, right. that's how normal people are. Like, like people who like comedy, you and I watch that yeah. show, and we think that those, like, we just think listening to that conversation is hilarious. Right. And then you see Jerry Seinfeld with a guy like Norm MacDonald, who, for all intents and purposes, is has been a trailblazer in yes. the world of comedy. You right. have, you know, every every comedian I've ever heard speak about Norm Macdonald talked about how he paved the way for kind of modern comedy. Oh yeah. Um and so watching a guy like Jerry Seinfeld just admire the work in real time. Yes. of a yeah. guy like Norm Macdonald right. is like one of the the most enjoyable things. Right. Cuz Jerry's one of those killers too, right? He's one of those guys. He is one of those guys in comedy, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld is right. Yeah. yeah, to see him just keel over, not even be able to fucking yeah. breathe, because Norm Macdonald's making a joke about rape. Like that's what Norm did, though, right? He, yeah. All, that's why I think he was. Respe- he's always, always been respected by almost universally every comedian because he was one of those guys that always stood for. If it's funny, if you think it's funny, say it. Say it. Yeah. And that's that's. That's gold, right? You, that's it's gold, right there. That's yeah. why Norm. That's why Norm is was will stay as one of the one of the best to do it. Yeah, I can't believe we just talked about comedy for forty, 40 minutes. minutes. All right, dude. Well, let's I wrap know. this one up. We got yeah. we got enough for a BTFR, so we'll we got to talk about malignant. We'll dude. cut it. We'll start. We'll start working on malignant, and uh, which you'll probably hear about before you hear this. Oh, absolutely. Because malig- so, malignant's someone, probably going to drop tomorrow. Uh, someone texted me this morning and was like, "You realize at the end of the Suicide Squad, <laughs> you teased Tenet, and you Whoops. already re- released Tenet two weeks ago." And yeah. I was like, "I realize that." Yeah, we kind of. For- I don't care. We well, well huh, here's huh huh. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, here's the thing. We kind of forgot we recorded it. Uh, yeah. And also, uh, Tenet was a better episode, so I dropped it first. Uh, anyway. All right, dude. Well, um, if you like these BTFRs, as always, yes. let us know. Um, 
we I won't even ask for suggestions for these because we no, just talk. Because it's literally whatever we sit down and start but talking if about. You're, if you're a comedy fan, let us know who your favorite comedians are. Let us know why you think comedy is important in today's yes, society. Absolutely. Because that could be another episode on its own. I'm mm-hmm. sure we could talk for another 30 minutes just about that. God. Um, yeah. But um, stick around for our normal shows, our yes. FRPs. Those aren't going anywhere. Um, these are just literally, it's every like fourth time we sit down to record we just we start we something. hit record just to kind of do mic checks and who and knows then, when this will come out i think we have another one that we yes, still haven't yeah we out. do so we yeah these will just come out periodically whenever right. we don't have content pretty much <laughs> when there's a slow week like slow couple of weeks in movies and or you know uh, you know one of us gets covid and the other goes to texas for a week and then we realize oh shit it's been three weeks since we recorded anything but we didn't have anything backlogged that's kind of what that's we're kind why, of that's why we're trying to get these yes in all right exactly um all right guys like subscribe comment do do your damn do the thing. thing you know what the thing is at this point we say it every time i don't i'm not even gonna say it no i'm done